guys and gals and children, don't know kids are listening to this, uh, and they's. And Z's and here and here's. Yes, all of and that. Zim's. Mm-hmm. Zim? Yep. Z, Zim, Ziz. I have never heard that. Yeah, we can I'm, talk about that on another episode. Oh, but I'm I'm being honest. I've never heard I've heard Zier, but I've never heard Zim. Yeah, and Ziz. And Ziz. Awesome. Well, hey all of y'all out there in the world. Welcome to another episode of Black Queer and dot dot dot. Last hey. week, um hey, excuse me. <laughs> I do the dot dot dot. Oh, welcome to another episode of Black Queer and Dot Dot Dot. <laughs> you sound so intrigued. I am so excited. Last week kind of sucked. Uh, PG&E just made all of Northern California black. Blackity black, black, black. Yeah. And we had absolutely no power, so we could mm-hmm. not uh, release an episode. But this week... We're back. We're back. we back. we back. we 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 motherfucking back. Hey. Um, we have a great episode. I keep smacking. Um, we have a great episode for you with Jayla mm-hmm. Sims. Jayla is... A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful person. I've known Jayla way before I even met Shamian for years now when I lived in LA. And Jayla, Jayla is a um a solo artist and a background singer. And she has performed on hell of stages. Um right now she currently sings background with Faith Evans. Um and a lot of people know her from Diddy's making his band. Um because she was on there, and um, she stood out among the rest because of her beautiful voice, and then also because she is a black trans woman. Mm -hmm. And what I love about Jayla is she uses her platform um, as an activist, Um, and she speaks out for black trans women everywhere and the protecting of black trans women and black trans women's rights and mm-hmm. um and so at the end of this episode too we're gonna share we're gonna play a song that um she just released and she has a new video for it and it is beautiful so sit back relax and you've barely said anything i'm sorry Do yeah you want to say anything? no i just wanted to say that that this interview sort of reminds me of the celebration piece at the end of a sermon that she is unapologetically fierce, extremely confident. I think that many folks will find uh, this interview uh, to be an inspiration because it was for me. Absolutely. So enjoy. I am transgender. And my pronouns, my required pronouns <laughs> are she and hers and all of those things, you know, ladylike. Yeah, I love that you said required. Yes. Oh, definitely. Ain't no preferred. Prefer what? Prefer my app. Well, you prefer to call me something else, then you need to. Then I prefer that you don't speak to me at all. A whole bunch of words come to mind, but not necessarily a definition. Um, it's more of like black being something. Black is radiant. Black is beautiful. Black is. Um, um, black is a deep, black is, uh, black is warm, black is home, mm. black is, um, black is strong, black is gentle, black is, and I could go on, but like that's more of how I feel about what 
black is or black means to me. I love that because you used such um, contrasting words and Mm. you're absolutely right. Like black is all of those things. And sometimes gentle, right. Sometimes when we, when we think about a word, like let's say when people think about, I'll just say men, people always think strong, powerful, but no one ever says like, and sweet and soft and caring. Right. 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 And it's like, we should be embodying all of those things. Like you should, we should be more than just one way or the other. Definitely. Definitely. We are whole people. Exactly. Complex. Uh, Queer means to be, it's almost like I draw a church parallel because I grew up in church. Um, it's almost like being sanctified, being Ooh. sanctified in the sense of set apart, um, special, different, unique, but set apart for a particular purpose or for a particular elevation of the mind. Um, so queer to me is a badge of honor, um, but it definitely to me means particular mm-hmm. in the best way possible. So we've been kind of on this kick of... Um with those who we've been talking to and interviewing on toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think that conversation ever gets old because we're still dealing with it, right? Like things get old once they are dealt with and it's done and it's yeah. over. Right. But there's still so, I mean, like there's so much of it. Yeah. It's right. Yeah. And so I want to talk about the impacts of toxic masculinity on you personally as a black trans woman, like how you feel like toxic masculinity impacts your day-to-day also in the business that you're in, like in the music business, how has that affected or has it affected you? Definitely. Um, And we're, let's start close to home as close to home as possible Um, dealing with the men in my family um, who are, my family is um, Mississippi. Most of them were born, oh no, all of my uncles come from a pretty big family. So my grandmother had 11 kids and my mother was one of 11. um, So I have 10 aunts and uncles just on my grandmother's side. Um, And five of them are uncles. So (laughs) growing up, dealing with, at that time, I didn't even have the language to understand what toxic masculinity was, um, nor did I, was I able to, I don't even think I was even able to identify it, let alone, you know, like talk about it. I don't even, I don't, I think that it's just been ever present um, and growing up in that environment and just, it goes beyond just like, you know, the four walls of your home. It's like, it rules the world. Um, so it affects not just me personally, but everyone, but on a personal note, um, just dealing with my uncles and just kind of some of the things that I look back now in retrospect and think about the lessons that they, that they tried to teach me, um, and realizing that they were, uh, the wrong lessons to be teaching any child, anyone period. Um, but at the same time, it's like, At this age, I've just turned 28 for the second time. Um, So at this age, I've realized realized that um, most of the rest of my life is probably going to entail me unlearning everything that I learned growing up. 
whether it be from my uncles or whether it be from society or whether it be from the church where toxic masculinity runs rampant, whether it be, especially just in the black community, like, you know, right? Because black men are already, um, you know, viewed in a certain light. Um, so there is this certain type of pressure to show up and be a certain type of man when you do show up. Yes. Um, so it's like, while it bothers the hell of me, hell out of me, and I wish that it did not exist, um, I understand that in the real world in which we exist and have to coexist, that there's no way for me to rid myself of it. Um, in that capacity, like you, know what I'm saying, like in a like on a grand like on a grand scheme, like I can choose to avoid people who have that or men who do have that. Um, but being that I do have to exist in it as it stands now, it's like it's understanding the psychology of it all and understanding that a lot of these things that they do, just like the things that I have to unlearn, and I have to come to a point where I had to realize that the things that I learned was wrong, number one. I had to be able to identify that, but in unlearning that. Um, and I think that because they don't know a lot of times, a lot of times, not saying all the time, but a lot of times they don't know. Um, and then that toxic masculinity has made them so fragile to even when you are able to identify it and point it out and they are able to see it, um, coming to terms with it and facing it can almost shatter them. Mm. You know, um, I've seen it break them almost. I've been in relationships with men who, First of all, let's get back to the kind of men that I'm attracted to. Just in case they listen right now. <laughs> no, but I think because it, because it plays, because, okay, I'm, 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 I love black, I love black love. <laughs> I love black men. I love black skin against black skin. I love being able to come home and not having to explain my experience or my daily walk. Um, I love being able to connect with somebody who just gets it, right? Yeah. The issue that I have is that black men, most black men who I'm attracted to and who are attracted to me um, tend to have come from similar backgrounds yeah. in that growing up in the black community, this trans people, right, um, should not exist. So them coming to terms with their attraction to me and then them trying to figure out if it's right, if it's wrong, all while the soundtrack of their childhood is playing in the background and the lessons that they were taught and the things that society, even as an adult, puts on them if they were to ever openly admit their attraction. Like, with all of that, I'm just saying all of that to say I have to understand as much as I would hope that they can break out of that toxic masculinity. It's something that is going to, just like I have to unlearn, it's something that is never going to happen overnight. And it's going to be a lifelong process. And furthermore, as do most people need mental health, like, or, or need to seek mental, you know, get checkups and go to doctors who deal with mental illness and mental health or mental wellness. Um, that's something that a professional needs to kind of deal with. Like I can't, and I think that that, you know, that's a whole nother subject. But to really get down to toxic masculinity, it's like you're going to have to dig really, really deep and find out why that person is choosing to act in that. 
because a lot of them are doing it, you know what I'm saying, just by, you know, by what they've been taught. And a lot of men are doing it because they're running away from something that they feel. And, you know, it's a whole thing, I think. There's not just one way to address it. I'm reminded of uh, a woman that we interviewed probably, I think, last month now. Um, another self-identified trans woman. What's fascinating is that she was saying something very, very similar about her experiences with men in terms of this idea that they sort of unload things on her um, to the point at which that it's, it, she didn't use the terms unhealthy, but that it can be kind of a burden a little bit, like to the- Oh, completely, and completely. I, it kind of makes me wonder why that happened. But- no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's a thing, though, and I don't, that's not specific to women of the trans experience. I think that that is literally um, a part of toxic masculinity. Number one, they feel like <laughs> if they are opening up to us or giving us this information, um, they feel like it is our duty, it is our responsibility to patch them up um, and to fix them up. But recently, I started dating someone who, First of all, let me say, because he's probably going to listen, he is amazing, amazing. And we had, a, we had a, a conversation about toxic masculinity and about some of the guys that I had dated before, and he told me, which is sometimes, you know, we know things, but it takes someone else to hold that mirror up and say, hey, look, what you've been thinking and what you've been feeling is true. He told me, it's not your responsibility to be their doctor. Mm. Like, they need the help, but that's not your responsibility. There it is. And, and because, I guess, because I think what happens is that we invest so much emotionally um, into men, um, especially, you know, I, I can see for myself, a lot of times it's been the wrong men for me. Me uh, too. We get, we, have, we, get, <laughs> we, get, we get invested. So it's hard to say it's not my problem when you care about somebody. Right. So, like, you know what I'm saying? But you have to take a step back and realize, like, okay, first of all, if he can't recognize the problem, there's nothing you can do or say to convince this person they have a problem until they recognize that it's an issue. That's number one. So are you fighting an uphill battle or are you working actually on helping someone through something? If you're trying to prove it to them, then more than likely you're not helping at all. Right. You're just wasting your time and wasting your breath and your energy. And you, in turn, start feeling like this is what your life is supposed to be. And it's not. Like what he, what this, what this, this guy that I'm, I hate, I don't even, I'm definitely not going to say his name, but he's really like, no, he's really like, <laughs> we've had real discussions um, about a lot of things. But one thing that he has helped me realize is that, which we all know as women, as trans women, as women in general, as people, as humans, humans first, that's my whole thing. But yeah. as humans, we know what we deserve. Yes. So... So, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and he, he's, he's, you know, helping me to realize that, like, as much as I care about this person and I want to see them do well, I'm not a doctor, I'm not equipped, nor is it my responsibility, and I deserve someone who is my equal, someone who already gets it, who already understands, who already, who's meeting me 
where we can grow together and not me have to carry this burden and help you up and give you a hand. Right. I think that's important, though. I, I think when we, especially as we get to a certain age, it's hard to to date and have to like carry other people. You know what I mean? Definitely. It's one thing Definitely. when you're younger, cause it's like, Oh, we can grow together. But like, you know, what if you're at a certain point where you're like, no, this is where I'm supposed to be in life and I'm happy. And you know, the people around you are not quite, or the people that you want to date are not quite where you are. I mean, it's like, you see the potential, but I don't know. I just feel like the older I get, the less patience I have for potential. Yeah. You know what oh, I mean? Definitely. Um, the thing about it is for me is that, and this is something that I've carried throughout. Well, I can't say throughout my life, child. I just came to this realization about seven or eight years ago, but it's been quite some time that I've been carrying around and it's harder. It's, it's, it's much easier. It's easier said than done, but knowing that, Whatever is whatever the universe has for me is going to be my equal is the one thing that has kind of like kept me on path <clears throat> because I know that it's not the universe's like intention, especially I know what I want. Let's just start there. Mm-hmm. And if I beseech the universe, if I, in my case, if I beseech God and say, Lord, this is what I want. And I know that I have the power to create circumstances and to manifest things into my life. If I'm saying that I want this thing, I know that it is coming to me. And I just have to kind of like be patient and not settle for anything that is less than my equal. Because when you find your equal, all of that other stuff is just like, it's just noise. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't even, the little things that most people trip about or complain about or deal with in relationships aren't even those things. I don't have to worry about potential because you're doing what I'm doing. Right. You're my equal. I'm like right now at this point in time, and I don't know, I, I mean, I pray, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I definitely enjoy my time with him and I enjoy learning everything. So, now mind you, it's still new and still fresh, but I'm still enthralled in everything that he says and I want to learn more and, and know more. But the thing that I'm finding most about him um, is that he really is what I asked for in my equal. I'm focused on my career right now. He's focused on his career. I'm making moves in my career. He's making moves in his career. He feels a certain way and a certain conviction about, um, you know, about creativity as well as I do. Like you know I'm saying, these are things that I've asked for and now I'm recognizing that they are possible and that they are there. It's just a matter of us not settling and waiting for the equal. Yeah. I think. Because especially as you get older, because the, and you start to, I don't, and, and I think that what, and it kind of goes like along with what you, what you were saying, it's like, not only do I not have time for the potential, it's like I have years of experience and years of wisdom and angels and ancestors pointing me and guiding me and showing me those red flags to where I don't have to go through all of that stuff anymore because I see the bullshit before it even hit. Mm. It's like, I'm not going to sit here and wait on this potential because I see right now you're not consistent. Or I see right now, you know what I'm saying? Like all it takes is one little word of discouragement for you to jump off, you know, the, the wagon. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like I start to see those things earlier on, which is as a result, you know what I'm saying? I just don't deal with the bullshit or the potential. Like, oh no, that's great. 
That's wonderful. It's a lot of potential, but what do we have right now? Are you meeting me here where I am? Right. Yeah. Uh, so how do you go about dating? Like, cause you just started dating this person, right? Like, have you, do you, yeah, it's really you like sites or do you meet people Wait, out? Before, no, there's a reason I'm asking this. Oh, okay. Cause I had a thought. Oh, oh go ahead. No, no. T- before say your we thought. go on to, to dating, uh, something you said, uh, sounded like me when I was growing up, when you're talking about you know, there's some stuff you shouldn't have to deal with. Professional told you it's not your responsibility. I was that person growing up, like that I was, I know that I was dumping stuff on my partners at the time because I wasn't mentally healthy, but okay. I was able to get, uh, fortunately, uh, the professional help that I needed to become whole. And thinking about that, you know, I had to get past, um, uh, the culture of, you know, blackness, which kind of says, oh, no, we handle everything. In Definitely. Right? We don't right. really need professional help. But in thinking about that, on top of if I was male, right, if I was born male, I think that's an uh-huh. added sort of like barrier. If you're a black man, you definitely, you know what I mean? And I think this has to do with toxic masculinity as well. You definitely don't need to go to see any professional, handle it like a man, you know what I mean? And so then... What happens is then you have folks who kind of stay in that 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 uh, place that I was when I was growing up. They never get the help they need. They're dumping stuff on their partners. They never have the opportunity to to fully grow and heal mm-hmm. because they're fighting against society and and uh, African American culture that says we don't do we don't do that. Boo, go and talk to you know Uncle So and So and handle it that way. Right. You know? Now, thankfully, mental health is a conversation mm-hmm. that, is ha- that is being had in the mainstream. I recently, and I don't mean to cut you off. I'm, was, no, was your complete, was your complete? Um, I recently was dealing, before I met, <laughs> see, he got me <laughs> the person who shall remain. But before I met him, um, <laughs> a few months before I met him, recently ended something that had been almost a year. And it was probably the most toxic situation that I've been in since a long time ago, since around my first 28th birthday, I put it like that. Uh, (laughs) And like, but this is the thing. Let me get back on on point. The thing is, is that he knew that he has mental health issues that he needed to address. Now, mind you, it took us about a good month before I started was able to, like, see that, like, there was depression there. There was issues that he had, you know, dealing with his mother and growing up, like, you know what I'm saying, in his family and feelings of abandonment and things like that. All these things that, um, and I know he ain't listening, child, so I, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> all of these things he knew um, once we started discussing it, because he's relatively young, like, he's, you know what I'm saying, like, well, around 30, um, but... And he's really into pop culture. He's really, you know, like, he's one of those IG kind of guys, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's into all of that stuff. So he's aware that that people are having a conversation about it. And, and, and it just reminded me of someone that I was dealing with years before who just didn't, it just quite didn't click, they quite didn't get it because of all the toxic masculinity. Like, oh, I don't need to go see nobody. But now this generation, they do know. But his mm-hmm. issue was, he didn't have the resources or access to the resources. You feel me? Like, even after we separated, I still wanted to make sure that he was okay. But literally, we were searching and I was searching, trying to find 
people that he actually could go and speak to, mm-hmm. being the fact being being that he didn't have like a lot of bread and all of this other stuff. So I think that they're more aware of it now than ever, thankfully, but it's because of places like this that are safe spaces mm-hmm. that they hear. They may never say that they tune in to, you know what I'm saying, the podcast, but they do, you know what I'm saying, people do. So it's like, you know, I think that as long as the conversation continues to be had um, and safe spaces are continued to be created, we just have to work on connecting the dots, which is getting the help to the people that need the help. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I will say before I met Shamian, like I was I was a big uh like a cheerleader for therapy, but not I mean more so for other people. I'll say that. I would be like, Oh yeah, therapy's good. You know, I'm a pastor's kid, so people always come. We gotta pray about it. Yeah, we gonna pray about it. And everybody would always be in my, you know, my dad's office trying to get counseling. And it wasn't until I became an adult and until Shamian and I got together where she would openly talk about going to see her therapist. She was one of the first Black people. And I, I mean, and it's funny because after that, then I started to find out like, you know, um, people in my family were seeing therapists. I, she was one of the first Black people that I knew personally that was open about seeing a therapist. And that was so healing to me because I feel like when, first of all, it's very taboo for black people. Like we already established, right. To talk about Uh um, getting help or talking to someone and it's changing. Right. As you said, it it is changing with this younger generation. Um, But for her to be open about it, I don't think I had Mm -hmm. heard anyone. And that is older, like that is, you know, my age and older that talked about it openly. Mm -hmm. And so that was so eye opening for me because I felt like, oh, so it's not a secret. Like we don't have to be secretive about that to be. Yeah, there's no stigma around it about Mm -hmm. wanting to be mentally well. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that ties in with toxic masculinity because Hoping to unlearn it, like yes. to unlearn, yeah. Because I think when we think of that term, though, we think it only applies to men, and we don't realize that it applies to women as well. Because we pick up on, you know, the way that we've been treated um, through mm-hmm. masculinity, right? And we talk about, you know, oh, we don't like it, but then we can turn around and take those same ideas and those same actions and treat someone else and speak to someone exactly. the same way that that we've been talked to and treated. The same exact things. That's the whole thing about just, not just toxic masculinity, but like they talk about the cycle of abuse. They talk about the, yes. it's, it's the same thing when it's a cycle and nobody's able to identify or and, and then in turn correct it. Like, yes. you know what I'm saying? Like, right, they don't understand. It's almost like, you know, like if you've been beat, you're typically going to beat somebody. If you've been loved on, you're typically going to love. It's like they are literally a product of their environment. And until they're able to identify that, and a lot of times, they don't nobody want to say, this is what I have to deal with with, this, with um, the, my ex. You don't want to, like, it's a preference for him to admit that, like, my mama fucked up. Yes, your mm-hmm. mama fucked up. Whew, that's a good, like, you know what I'm saying? Nobody wants to say, oh, my family, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, somebody that is supposed to have taught them everything that they know about life fucked them up. 
Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then it got to the point where it was like every time I talked, it was like, everything about my mama, fuck my mama. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it went into an old mother, like, oh, God. Like, yeah. <laughs> like what did I open up? So, so we closed this box, right? Pandora, come get your box, bro. But the thing is, is that I have also been on the other side, and I can say that speaking to someone or dealing with someone or knowing someone who has dealt with toxic masculinity in a safe space, controlled environment with someone who is a professional, it is so worth it. The man, the potential that we talked about before, that potential, oh, my God, like to see it actually fulfilled, <laughs> it's like it kind of makes you think twice, like, Maybe I should go back and help you. But, <laughs> but I'm a firm believer, and now I know it to be true, which I've known all of my life, is that if you wait on what it is that you want and wait for your fucking equal and be prepared to meet your equal where he is and vice versa, just wait on that one, child, because you ain't got to do none of all of that other work. You will do the work on yourself and yes. be ready for that one. Yeah. Child. Come on, mm-hmm. preach. So I want to go back to my dating question. And there's a reason that I'm asking this question. Um, So Shamian and I, we met online. And Uh I had never wanted to date anybody online before. Like, I never wanted to meet anyone online. Yeah, her her online picture was just like a picture of her nostrils. (laughs) That's how tight it was. She's lying. It's hilarious. It was was like my eyes, my nose, and my mouth. It was a really small picture. But it was because um, I had moved back up here to Northern California, and I was working at the church. And I was like, I do not want anyone to see me looking for another woman. When I lived in LA, I dated very openly and freely, but moving back up here, my parents are up here, and I was just like, nah, I got to go back in the closet, right? And so um, I was like, you know, I felt like I couldn't just go out and date, so I needed to meet somebody, and if I needed to do it, it had to be online. And so I'm wondering, though, uh, what's the route that you take, and do you ever worry about safety? I think she's got a man. No, I mean, before she started dating him, though. Oh, okay. Like, dating in general. Because before you, like, yes, I have you now. Right. But my experience had not been online. Yeah. My experience yeah. had been meeting people out. And I know as a cis woman, like, being a woman in general, I, like, dating was hard for me. Well, dating men mm-hmm. was hard for me because I... There were times when it just did not feel safe. Like, I felt like they were one person one second, and then the next second, if they didn't get what they wanted, not all of them, but some of them, like, I've been assaulted way more than any woman should ever be assaulted because it would be like, oh, I thought it was one way, and now it's not going to be that way, so I want what I... Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I definitely oh, do. Flips on you, but I mean, I can't even compare my experiences to what, especially Black trans women are going through. Like that, it's it's on a whole other level. So I, when we left New York, I kept telling Shamian, like my antennas are just like they're just going off so much when it comes to my cousin. Like I think about her uh-huh. all the time and I worry about her all the time because she's out late because 
she's a makeup artist and she, you know, nobody in New York drives. Right. So she's always on the screen. And so I worry Mm -hmm. and it's like, I don't worry about Shamian when she's out in Oakland, you know, at night or no, I don't worry about you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, for the mm-hmm. most part, even when I'm walking down the street, I don't so much worry about myself, but it's like a whole different level of fear now because it's so blatant. You know what I mean? Right. So it makes me right. think about like you and when you have dated, like how you went about that. And then if there was ever like, I don't know if I want to do this because you know, there's a fear or if it was like, nah, fuck it. I'm trying Always. to uh-uh. <laughs> Always. You're always on guard. That's it. And you can feel when it's not right. And you just try to avoid it. I know it's only been literally by the grace of God um, in certain situations. But for so long, it was worth the risk because of the validation in that moment. But when you realize that it's only in that moment and it's really not worth the risk, <laughs> and then you start to see your sisters really get hurt and really end up in fucked up situations, you learn quickly. But with that being said, it's just kind of like I'm a little bit more trusting of God and trusting of the universe because I had to first unlearn that. The notion of fear all the time, constant fear. That's not something that I want to live in. That's not something that I want for my life. Um, and so I started have to, I had to start expecting the best things and the best energy and the best people and made sure that the people that I connected with, I felt out in a real way. Um, and that could, that could be either online, that could be in person, that could be you know, like, however we met, like, I, it just has to be something that, you know, I feel is okay. And I've definitely been in situations when it's not. And even just outside of dating, there are spaces that are just not safe. And there are times when it's like, you know, because right now we're doing this long distance thing. But him being 3,000 miles away and me being here, sometimes I am in situations where it's like, oh, oh me, my man. I mean, like, I mean, like, it does get kind of uncomfortable and it kind of like whatever, but you know, you learn how to move and operate in safety. Yeah. But yeah, it is like, it's always, you you know, you're always, I don't like to put in like a constant state of fear. Just high alert. You're just always aware. Yeah. Very aware. I, I think you're right. You, you hit the, the nail right on the head. I mean, nobody wants to live in a constant state of fear um yeah black folks we always have to you know exactly i i think about right being what can you actually get done like you people you can't you can't get anything done in life living in fear or operating or moving in fear so imagine just being marginalized and having that fear and having to set that shit down like oh no i'm just aware i'm aware i'm not scared i'm yeah yeah You know, it's so funny that you say that because when we were, um, we were outside of my uncle's wedding um, Mm -hmm. and we're out there um, with my cousin Julie and she's smoking a cigarette and, you know, people would walk by or drive by and like catcall or like one guy stood on the corner and just kept staring at her. And I'm like looking at him, mean mugging and she Mm -hmm. was like, she wasn't oblivious. She just didn't give a fuck. So she was not paying attention at all. You know why? <laughs> Go ahead. I'm listening. No, no. I'm, I'm waiting no. for the why. Why? 
Why? Is because it is commonplace now. This is mm. you learned that very very like you learned that very early on. Maybe the second time I dressed in drag before I decided to just like transition. The second time I dressed in drag, I was walking down the street and this dude pulled over and whipped his dick out like in the car, just started shaking it. And I was like, hmm, what is going on here? And my girlfriend was with me. She was like, child, you better get used to it. I was like, what are you talking about? And literally, it's like, it is just commonplace for men to sexualize and objectify trans women in a way that is so, like, blatant and disrespectful yeah. because... um. Because of that, simply because they objectify as they see as a subject as opposed to people. It's just like, it's always like that. That's why she ain't tripping because, child, what you going to do? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, and a lot of times, you know, society has got us set up, child. Um, it's like it was hard for a lot of girls to actually get work, so they were sex workers. So most of the time, most men associate trans women with sex work, hence, Let's get to the point. Here's my dick. Let's get it going. Or, you know, doing whatever. It hasn't been until recently that they have been, we're, that we're demanding that they see us as more. I think this is what you just said is such an important part of this conversation because it literally matches some of the things that Julie said when we interviewed her. And one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about toxic masculinity with an emphasis on black trans women, women is to highlight how much more um, stuff they have to face, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, I think the general conversation around toxic masculinity is how it impacts women in general, right? But I think there needs right. to be a specific conversation about how black trans women in particular face a different kind of toxic yeah. masculinity. Like some of the stuff that you just shared and Julie shared about men just saying, hey, here's my dick, let's get it on. And that being commonplace blows other people's minds. Do you know what I mean? Don't mm. have to deal with anything like that. And so I think, mm. I think more conversations about the impact it has on trans women is really, really, really important and critical to moving conversations forward, but it doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen mm-hmm. often. And so... I just wanted to make that point and thank you for sharing some of no, no. your experiences because what it does is it serves to highlight your your voice in conversation with other uh, voices, serves to highlight some stuff that is really, I think, has been buried in normative conversations. Yep. Thank you. And I hope so. Thank you. I really do. And thank you for the platform as well to be able to do that. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. I mean, we're the ones that are on it like, yeah, it shows uh, what I love about it, Jayla, is it shows the humanity. Yeah. Yesterday in um, my post, I used humanness because <laughs> I don't know why I forgot the word humanity. But I think it's important, though. Um, my point in what I was saying in the post was um, something about the humanness of trans women. And I, I, uh-huh. I said it on purpose though, because for some reason people are so fucking ignorant, oh my God. um, where they, it's almost like when it comes to trans women, yeah. they, not even trans men, but trans women in, in particular, it's almost like trans women are not human and people don't mm-hmm. see the humanness 
in trans women. It's yeah. like, it's just a whole right. different, I, I don't know. It's, I, the, just the conversations I read and see that people have, you know, um, it just shows that they're ignorant. Yeah. But the full stop on like, almost as though, I, I can't even, I keep saying it, but like, there's no hum, humanity. Like, that's not a human. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I guess I definitely I don't do. understand that part. I don't understand it because we see it with black people. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. It's like a whole different level with black trans women. Yeah. It's like a whole different level of disgust that people have. And I, I don't, it, it just boggles my mind because it's. You're it's, afraid of the glow. Yes. <laughs> That is they are afraid of the glow. Someone who can say, guess what? First of all, to me, I don't care what anybody says, that, you know, I just revere black men in such a way, right? Yes. Just as I do black women. Black, my black people, right? Yes. So imagine how we are just powerful in and of ourselves. Like, it's just, we are magical in a real way. Now, imagine someone who is black who has all of this power and then says, guess what? Not only do I have the power to be black and bold, but I have the power to master my feminine and masculine energy. Mm. And then I have the boldness to take both of those and make my life what everyone says that it cannot be, which is fucking fabulous. (laughs) So (laughs) I I think a lot of times it's just like, it's sort of like, I mean, even like little kids, it's sort of like, that's why I really like the whole idea. Like, I really do feel like a fucking unicorn. I'm just saying it. Because it's sort of like you hear about unicorns all the time, but you never see them in real life. And then when people see me, they're like, oh, my God, Mommy, it's really a unicorn. I can't believe I saw it. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> I just feel like we're just magical. And that's what puts them off a little bit. Some people are attracted to the fire. Some people are afraid they're going to get burned by it. I love it. And then you got to keep in mind if you if you if you are walking in your tube and you're shining a light, when you get next to somebody who's got a whole bunch of secrets and a whole bunch of darkness, uh-huh. all that should start coming out. Yeah, like there's just no way to be around somebody who is walking authentically in their truth, and for yours to stay hidden in such a way. So that's why a lot of people avoid trans people. Like, you can't have a real conversation with me. I walk unapologetically in my truth. So I can spot bullshit whenever you open your... When people open their mouth and start talking, immediately I can tell if it's bullshit or not. And the only reason I know that it... Like, I'm saying, uncertain things. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying, oh, I'm a psychic or anything like that. I'm not the body of Cleo. You know, you can't call me for your free reading. Um, (laughs) But I'm saying... in the sense of you can't bullshit me. Like, you know what I'm saying? You can't bullshit most trans people in that way, you know? We know if you're being real or authentic. Yeah. That's what we do. (laughs) We are resilient people. Yeah. That's what Mm -hmm. it is. Queer people, period. And black people. Just get out of here. Like, to be queer and black, get out. Yeah, <laughs> right. Hey, I love it. Mm-mm. So, mm-hmm. do you feel like your art has been influenced by your queerness and being a trans woman? Definitely. 
Undoubtedly. <laughs> Same one. Period. <laughs> All of my life experiences um, inform my art. So it's, you know, it's my lived experience um, and, and the inner workings of my brain, <laughs> which sometimes are my lived thoughts as opposed to the things I've actually done, some of the things that I want to do. So all of it is informed by being my totality, not just my queerness, but me walking this earth as a black human, me walking this earth as a trans human, me walking this earth as a Christian human, me walking this earth as a righteous human, me walking this, you know what I'm saying? Like all of these things, but the common denominator is, is that I'm human. So while it does inform and while it does affect the common denominator, especially when it comes to my music, because I wanted to connect in a real way is that it's coming from the human aspect. I love that. Mm-hmm. I was showing Shamian a, um, I, I had watched making his band, like when it first oh came gosh. out, like what year was that? We going back. 2009, 2009. 2009. Wow. That's when I was on. Yeah. No, when you were on, right. Because that was when, I, I mean, I watched it when you were on, and I met you shortly after that. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It's been a long At Entourage in Hollywood. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> you were singing your face off. Oh, Lord. With my mm-hmm. fishnets on. <laughs> yes. Look and fly. Thank you. Um, <laughs> So I remember that show. And so Shamian is so, we're, we're so opposite, um, which is what I love oh. about us. Um, yeah. When I asked her, she was like, I don't think, because you didn't watch it, right? No. She didn't watch it. So okay. more like, I will say, you know, oh, you know, so-and-so's daughter. And I'll be talking about a singer. I'll be like, uh, you know, I'll use Faith. I'll be like, you know, Faith Evans' uh-huh. daughter. And she'll be like, no. I have no clue. She don't know no pop culture. It's not her thing. But she. That's how I am with basketball. Go ahead. Exactly. It does not stop me from telling her. And so Mm -hmm. um, that part. So I. But that's what I love about her because she will, you know, just sit there and be like, "Okay, just show me the video." Um, Anyway. But it's so interesting Mm. because I wasn't looking for any particular clip from that show. I just wanted to show her a clip of you on the show to see, because I'm like, no, you had to have watched it. I'm like, no, maybe if she sees you, then she'll remember. And she was like, no, I don't remember. But she watched it. (laughs) And then she kept looking for more clips because for one, your voice voice is amazing. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. um, she just, that's how Shamian is. Once she gets interested, then she'll be like, oh, let me find something yeah, else. True. And so she yeah. stumbled upon a clip that I did not remember, though. And it was the one mm-hmm. where Diddy pulls you to the side and is like, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. something different about you. And I felt really uncomfortable watching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt really uncomfortable. And I was like, I know this is years ago and I know people evolve and they change. Um, but mm-hmm. it just felt really uncomfortable because I felt like you are and were all of who you are. And mm-hmm. 
it just felt like I'm maybe mm, it's yeah. a, kind of a personal thing for me because I'm not into people um, outing people and not saying he was right. Outing, right. You were, you were very much living in your truth already, but I always feel like it's not for other people to tell our story. Do you get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. to like pull you force to the side, to yeah, or to force us to tell, I, it just felt but really handled it though. Yeah, because you handled it like a G. <laughs> it just felt really uncomfortable mm. for me to watch. Do you ever see any of those clips and feel like this is some bullshit or like this shit is weird? <laughs> um, I know how some girls probably yeah. Me no, I'm from Chicago, <laughs> and I. You know what I mean? And I was trans before trans oh, before this era of trans awareness. You know what I mean? So I've experienced that, and I understand like sometimes when it's coming from a certain place and when it's not. Um, I knew in that moment, girl. In that moment, I was focused on getting the bag and winning the show. Hey, so if you would, <laughs> so like I was saying, so I wasn't gonna pick an argument and. He did it in a way that was like, I knew that he didn't mean anything. And I also knew that there was a component. It was an entertainment component. We were on television. Yes. So there's that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, in real time, I probably could have gone off or been very upset. But in that space, for what it was, especially having seen this was right after... Laverne had did I Want to Work for Diddy, and then Isis had did, did America's Next. Laverne did. I do not remember that, and I remember that show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Remember Popra? Yes, yes. Her and the her and Popra was like on a team at one point. Like, like it was Laverne. That's where she got her start. Oh, my God. See, now I got to go back. Right. So I was the second trans woman that Diddy actually worked with, the second black trans woman. Wow. And... So I knew that he wasn't coming. I knew that it wasn't going to be a bad, per se, conversation. You know what I mean? I kind of expected it kind of it to happen. And he, he tried to keep it light. And I could tell also you got to keep in mind, like, and this is, and I know that this is not my responsibility to take on. And my sister Nina would kill me for being like, don't even, you ain't got to think about them. But I always do. This is how I am. It's an I statement. I think about how uncomfortable that must have been for him. I think about how uncomfortable it is sometimes for me to ask my mom certain things. Mm-hmm. So imagine how weird it must be to have to try to figure out how to get around to, like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I mean, I thought he someone... handled it. At, it wasn't, well, not saying, oh, he handled it well. I feel like for, for black men, it could have, he could have gone way off the rails and he could have been nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that, you know, it wasn't bad. It just made me feel uncomfortable that he even Definitely. felt to ask. I think that's what it was. Yeah, but that was, and that's the whole thing. I feel like that that part I was used because it was the element of entertainment. It was, in the, especially during that time, and context is everything for me, because during that time, it was, thing and had he not said that had that conversation not been had not saying they're like oh i paved the way for whatever like everything but 
those moments needed to happen. And I, I, I know that God allows things to happen in my life for a specific purpose, a specific, you know, specific reason. So that had to happen to generate other conversations that now we are here having real dialogue about real issues that really matter to trans women. Mm-hmm. But that attention had to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And hey, I'll take one for the team, boo. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, no shave. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it kind of gives, I don't know, like, for me, the interaction, that interaction, but especially that one specifically, humanizes things. Do you know what I'm saying? You know how you were talking about how sometimes they look at us as other or something else? In that moment, I felt like he was being Jayla. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we're there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and sometimes that is kind of the route to go for me personally. This is an I statement. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's the best thing for me to do. Let's humanize this. How can we get on the same page? Okay, now let's get to the real part. How are you going to help me out? Because I need to get this job. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? I do. I do. I don't know. I do. You're such. Mm-hmm. You're so understanding and loving. You really are. But I, I, I know you don't take no shit at the same time too, which is what I love. No. Find out more about me everywhere you can. I'll change your life. <laughs> <laughs> It's really ironic that those are your last words. One, one of the things I want to say to you is that your light shines so brightly through, even through this interview, that the way that you, your perspective on life is very, very, is crystal clear in terms of knowing who you are. And I just imagine, you know, like you said earlier, you never know who's listening to these podcasts. And my fear mm-hmm. is that this gets into the hands and to the ears of somebody that needs to hear an inspiration like you. Just just being all of them can help somebody who's struggling with coming out or struggling with maybe perhaps their trans identity or struggling with, you know, something having to do with having the courage to be who they are. You are a person who walks in it, who lives in it, and then shines brightly while you're doing it. You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't give a fuck. This is who I am. I'm here to deal with I get now I'm getting. Ooh, she cussed. Oh, she just fired up exciting. now. And you got one cuss word out of me. Now you know I'm really. <laughs> but I want you, you to know. You brought it out of her. I mean that quite. <laughs> this is a. This is I think the last interview in this series. And what a beautiful way to wrap it up with a voice like yours. Yeah. That kind of. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Sure. I do. It's kind of sending off. It's the inspirational bent, like in a sermon. You know, at the end, you want to have a go up, and then have like. This, uh-huh. like it, it's kind of, that's the feeling I get. This is the vibe that I'm getting from this interview. So thank you uh, for your time. Yeah, you thank, you all for, thank y'all for having me. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. So before and I... once again, uh, thank y'all for creating a safe space for people to have these 
conversations. It's so necessary. Absolutely. And we're hoping that people that, you know, we don't know who listens or how many people listen, but we, you said it so many times, a safe space. And that's what we want. And which is why we titled it, um, yes, black, but queer, Mm -hmm. because we don't want it to Uh be for lesbians or just be for, you know, gay or just be, you know, we want it to be a queer space for anyone who falls under that umbrella and there's no judgment. You know what I'm saying? Like, we we do a lot of I statements, just like you said. Your I statements. <laughs> yeah. That does not mean it has to. It's not. It's not about uh, you know making people believe what we believe. It's just our perspectives and what we really want in that safe space is to allow other people to come in and also give their perspectives because our perspective is mm-hmm. not Bible. And I keep saying our, but. We're two separate people. I have my own perspective. It's her own perspective. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just making this clear because I know he's probably going to listen. Um, so this is happening. It's a couple doing a podcast that is amazing. I can't wait to do it in the future. <clears throat> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. No, you guys, like he is so smart and so like articulate, like he, like you know what I'm saying, like, and he has an interesting cishet. Um um, male perspective and it's really like and he does share it but like I just want to like encourage him because just like you said like you never know who's listening and other people need to hear other voices you know what I mean voices yep. that you know maybe they, they can identify with and, and anyway I love y'all being said, the more the better yeah. we need voices more like yes more voices that yeah. part so people That's can hard. be inspired. And yeah. you guys, you alone are inspiring. So yes. I can imagine the two of you to, together. Of you together. Dynamic, I'm sure. Yeah. So <laughs> so appreciate you yes. for Thank coming you. on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this again. We just want to thank Jayla again for coming on the show and for sharing her beautiful spirit and story with us um, and with all of you. And we want to leave you with her new single, Won't Be Erased. Make sure you download it.